1: or any way that I can make this a better experience for you, please don't hesitate to reach out. Hello, welcome to the Courtney Turner Podcast. I'm here today with Kate Kroll. She is a functional nutritionist. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being here. So for those who may not know as well, can you explain a little bit about what a functional nutritionist is, what you do, and how did you get involved in it?
0: Yes. So my credentials kind of backing everything that I do. So I have my BS, my bachelor's of science in global public health and a minor in nutrition. That's where I kind of started in my educational path in college and my undergrad Um, had some experiences internationally working um, in the global health field. I went to Bangladesh when I was 20 by myself for a summer and worked at an international research hospital and um, worked in a nutrition rehabilitation unit with women and children. And it really just instilled my passion for nutrition as a prevention and, um, you know, a healing tool for essentially any ailment that we're dealing with. So that kind of shot me down this path of being super interested in a more, you know, holistic approach to nutrition. I had also been dealing with my own health issues, digestion problems, um, you know, diagnosis of gastritis and polyps and IBS and anxiety. And I had panic attacks growing up. And so there was a lot of things that the conventional, you know, medical route, unfortunately, just didn't fill those gaps for me. So while I was going through my own personal journey, I was kind of having these realizations in my educational journey and realized that I wanted to kind of split off outside of this more traditional, route of, you know, public health and like the RD nutrition route and wanted to do something different. So I spent the last two years of college, um, really digging into different programs and was interested in just about everything. I reached out and chatted with people that were in like, you know, acupuncturists, Chinese medicine, doctors, um, chiropractors, naturopathic doctors. I worked with a woman who had a, um, like a holistic center that was kind of in conjunction with a chiropractic office. I created my own internship my junior year because I didn't like any of the internships that my college had to offer that was connected with like American Heart Association, Diabetes Association, all those things, because it's just, you know, government regulated ways of kind of doing nutrition. So all of that said, I ended up landing on the Nutritional Therapy Association program. Um, at the time it was called a, an NTP. So that's one of my certifications that I have on top of my undergrad is I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner, mm-hmm. um, which is really the foundation of holistic health and understanding how body systems are supposed to optimally function, how they commonly dysfunction and how to troubleshoot those problems. So from there, I started seeing these gaps in, you know, a lot of our clients, we really needed to dig deeper. So after probably about working with, you know, probably 200 one-on-one clients, I went on and got certifications to complete labs with clients. So I went through Restorative wellness solutions. um, And I also went through a master blood chemistry course recently that, um, you know, it's not a diagnostic tool. I'm not a doctor, I do not diagnose or treat disease. So um, I always have to say those things, but we use labs as a tool to just understand dynamics and imbalances that might be going on in different organ systems and body systems that, Need support to help, you know, optimize just overall function and get to the root cause of what might be going on in the body. So that's like a quick snapshot of kind of my journey in getting to this place, but yeah.
1: Awesome. What, um, could you talk maybe both about like your own personal experience? What did you find? Like, was not working that you found when you started to, your own healing journey what were some things that you started to find that were very useful that surprised you that were very yep. different than what you've been told yeah
0: for sure yeah and this is a just a huge piece of you know not just my journey but so many people that are in the holistic yes. space I think so many people in the holistic space like you don't wake up and you're like oh I'm gonna you know I'm gonna go do this like I definitely didn't have that thought and I actually grew up surrounded by a few friends whose families were very holistic. And I always thought that it was like woo woo bullshit. I don't know if I can swear on your podcast, but I just thought that it was like woo woo crap. And I was like, Oh my God, get over yourself, take the Tylenol, whatever. Like, you know, just didn't think that it was really effective. I just thought that it was like, you know, high hopes that something natural would really help until for me personally, I started having panic attacks when I was 12, seemingly out of nowhere. Now that I know what I know, like. It was not random. I was living in a moldy home. I was doing gymnastics 25 hours a week as like a 13, 12, 13, 14 year old like very competitive gymnast. It was a level level eight, level nine when I kind of stopped doing gymnastics. So I mean my nervous system was just completely overburdened at the time, but you know, hindsight 2020. 20. Yeah. So I started having panic attacks, anxiety, Um, had digestive issues that were really kicking up before the anxiety really started. So I had, um you know just constant diarrhea constant bloating constant gas couldn't trust my stomach ended up coming to a tipping point um when i was 20 in college and i was like this is ridiculous like i you know i need something more than just some pepto bismol and over the counter stuff so i went to a gastroenterologist and had an upper gi endoscopy done and was diagnosed with gastritis which is essentially just inflammation of the stomach lining i was told that i had too much stomach acid i was given antacids Um, I did have a few polyps that were lining my esophagus that they took out, biopsied, they were benign. And I remember even like sitting in that small office coming out of like that temporary anesthesia they give you for these procedures. And the doctor being like, you just have IBS, your gut is irritable. You know, you're anxious. You need to go on, you know, SSRIs, you need to take all this stuff. And I just remember sitting there like head spinning, like, okay, well, I had digestive issues before I got anxious and telling me that my gut is irritable. Like I already know that, but why is it irritable? And there was no, like all these expectations that I had of like, I'm going to get answers. I'm going to have some sense of direction. I'm going to understand my body better. I got none of those things. And I was kind of just starting to get into the nutrition field. I was taking a few undergraduate courses in nutrition as my minor. And that's when I just like all my wheels started turning. And so at the time, didn't know what to do. I took these antacids for three months and it made all of my digestive issues astronomically worse. And that's when I was like, something is like serious, just seriously wrong. I need to kind of figure out how is my body supposed to function? What's the deal with this? And I thought that I was going to learn those things from this doctor. And then I didn't. And I thought I was going to learn these things from my undergraduate degree in nutrition. And I didn't. And I remember thinking, through that whole time, like, where the hell do people even learn this information? Like, how can I even just learn how my digestive system is supposed to function? How is it dysfunctioning? And what am I supposed to do about it? And so that's really what was like my jumping off point and going down the rabbit hole, of my own journey. So through this whole, you know, rabbit hole of things, um, growing up, I know I mentioned I did gymnastics for, you know, 12, 12 to 13 years, but then I also, started pole vaulting when I was in high school and I got diagnosed with scoliosis. They found it late. They didn't find it till I was like 16, 17. So Uh because of that, I started going to a chiropractor. Um, So during this time, kind of connecting the dots here on those like two different pieces of the story, I, um, when I was like 20 in college, found out about all this gastritis, all this stuff, taking meds, couldn't figure it out, had all these questions. I reached out to my chiropractor whose wife did nutrition at their clinic, um, and, uh, went back home, met with her and we sat down and just chatted for a couple hours. And she had some of the answers that I was looking for and pointed me towards food, pointed me towards a, you know, more of an ancestral whole foods, properly prepared, nutrient dense based diet, and a handful of healing supplements, gut supports and gave me a bunch of resources of like, Hey, if you want to learn more, here's some books you can read. Here's some podcasts you can listen to. Mm -hmm. And I would say probably within three months, I had this massive 180. It was like the first really big, just leap and bound towards like my digestive issues were a ton better. My sleep was getting better. My energy was better. I could trust my stomach a little bit more. I was starting to kind of really start to understand all of these things. So it wasn't like, oh my God, three months and everything's perfect, but it was three months and oh my God, I've made all this progress and I've never felt this before. So that was really the beginning for me in getting into like, oh my gosh, like maybe holistic health is not a load of crap. And maybe there's something to, you know, understanding the physiology of the body and how it's supposed to function. And it wants to heal. The body knows how to heal. And we just need to create the environment for it to do that.
1: Sure. Sure. When you're working with your uh, clients, like what are some of the, I mean, obviously everybody's so unique and individual, but what are, do you see some common threads?
0: Are there things that are, you know, plaguing a lot of people and yeah. Yeah. I would say, I mean, I think pretty much everybody has digestive issues in some way or another, whether it's interfering with your day-to-day life, your emotions, your relationships, your quality of life, or you're just like, Oh my gosh, you know, every couple months I get super bloated and have diarrhea or I'm constipated all the time or whatever. And so I see this manifestation of digestive issues with essentially everyone. And the other thing that's kind of hand in hand with that is blood sugar dysregulation. And I think a lot of people, when they hear blood sugar dysregulation, they immediately think of like insulin resistance and diabetes and, you know, all of those markers, but blood sugar is one of the foundational aspects of our health that you know, runs our circadian rhythm and our sleep patterns and our hormones and our endocrine system and even our bowel movements sometimes. And there's this massive interconnectedness with every single system in the body. But I would say the root of a lot of challenges that we see with our clients in terms of, you know, body systems that are really stressed out and degraded is a lot of the organ systems involved in digestion and a lot of the organ systems involved in blood sugar regulation, which there's a ton of nuance with under, you know, within those umbrellas, but generally speaking, those are like just the biggest, the biggest issues that we see at the root. So,
1: right. so when you say I, yes, that is kind of where most people's head goes, right? Diabetes or metabolic syndrome, or so what yeah. are some of the other blood sugar issues that could be affecting somebody?
0: So the more simple things that we see that most people listening to this will probably resonate with is sleep issues, challenges going to sleep, waking up in the morning, not feeling rested, waking up multiple times throughout the night. This is like just a telltale, you know, livers under a lot of stress detoxification issues, you know, glycolysis and gluconeogenesis processes while we're sleeping, just like not functioning optimally because of some kind of reason. Um, we usually see this rooted in some sort of toxicity or like Again, blood sugar dysregulation, which we can talk about here in a little bit. But um, we also just see a lot of fatigue um, for women, cycle issues, breast tenderness, cramping, irritability, PMS symptoms, or very irregular cycles. We see that. Um, and also just energy crashes. We, you know, in holistic health, oftentimes you'll hear people refer to this as like the blood sugar roller coaster where like you're super, super hungry, hangry, you know, in between meals and you're craving sugar like crazy. And so you eat something sweet and you're like, oh, okay. I can like rest easy for a second, but then you, you know, you get that energy kick and then you tank and then you're hangry again. And so this is kind of the, the roller coaster that we see so many people on is that, you know, we actually, as humans thrive within a pretty consistent, moderate blood sugar throughout the day, if we can kind of keep it pretty balanced, but there's so many people, especially with standard American diet, fasting. We see with a lot of women challenges with fasting, um, just being really stuck on this blood sugar roller coaster. And it really does take, you know, just eating high quality foods, eating enough fats and proteins, eating frequently enough throughout the day, eating enough calories in a day to you know, really, really support that. Um, with men, we'll see low testosterone levels, you know, overtraining, undereating. There's just so much. In the modern world when it comes to our adrenal function blood sugar regulation systems, the food we're eating the lifestyle that's so fast paced and kind of in this constant state of stress that like just existing in the modern era is an assault on the blood sugar regulation system so there's all these little ways that we kind of see it, you know, knocking people. Right. to some capacity, you know, it doesn't really always have to be as drastic as, you know, you're in a disease state and you have diabetes or you have metabolic syndrome. It usually is like these more, these more simple types of issues with blood sugar regulation that manifest as symptoms that we just kind of treat as normal. Like it's not normal to have an afternoon crash. It's not normal to be caffeine reliant. It's not normal to wake up at 4 a.m. and you can't go back to bed or you can't fall asleep at night because your mind's racing. All of those things are involved with, you know, our endocrine system and blood sugar regulation.
1: Wow. I wouldn't have really thought of sleep as being, but I guess that does make sense. Yeah. When you talk yeah. about 4 a.m., wake up. I, and I know a lot of people who, who suffer with that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's very common, unfortunately.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, for sure. So, what would dysregulation be? I I guess that's kind of where, so, because you're saying like, it doesn't have necessarily manifest in like a full-blown disease state, you can still have dysregulation. So what, what does that mean?
0: Yeah, so I mean, dysregulation of any kind is essentially just something that's not properly regulated or functioning optimally. So when we see this, you know, in our practice, oftentimes, you know, we look at fasting blood sugar levels, We just had a client last week whose blood sugar levels came back at 61. They should be between like 75 to 85 optimally. Anything that's below hundred conventionally is considered optimal, but so very, very low blood sugar. And this client has had challenges with blood sugar issues before. And we said, you know, she was worried about having to do fasted blood work and was like, I don't know if I can wake up and not eat anything and go do this. And we were like, well, you know, just eat something then and we'll take into consideration that you were not fasted when you took this. So even though it was supposed to be fasted, she wasn't, it was still at 61. So that would be a very common, like, well, you've got blood sugar dysregulation and this person has not been diagnosed with diabetes has not been diagnosed with hypoglycemia, which, you know, we don't diagnose or treat disease, but I mean, that would fall into an extremely low category at 61 for not even being fasted. So one of the ways really commonly in the holistic space, and even in just the general nutrition space, that's super popular right now is, CGMs or continuous glucose monitors, Mm -hmm. um, which are like those little round things you pop on the back of your arm that will just continually check your glucose over time, which was something very commonly used for diabetes, you know, patients, people dealing with diabetes to kind of track, when do I need my insulin? When do I need this? Like where are we at? Get the baseline. So we have some clients that are using those just to kind of track and regulate how certain foods are potentially affecting their blood sugar regulation. So that's more of like a, a very measurable way of looking at blood sugar dysregulation. Sure. Um, but again, everything I mentioned before, like if we're having this consistent two to 4am wake up and it's happening all the time, right. that's one thing that I immediately in my mind is like, we need to support the liver, whether it's some sort of toxicity to digestion related issue, or it is dealing with blood sugar dysregulation and maybe we're not eating enough. Um, Because essentially when we're sleeping at night, we're in a fasted state and we're relying on different biochemical processes in the body, like glycolysis and gluconeogenesis for our body to take, you know, proteins converted into glucose to keep our blood sugar stable and keep us in homeostasis. And if the liver and the adrenals and, you know, our cortisol production and all of these organ systems are not functioning properly, then, you know, we're going to wake up. We're going to have these challenges with sleep because, um, you know, the, the blood sugar regulation that we do or don't have during the day is also going to impact when we're sleeping at night. So I think we kind of treat those things as like daytime and I'm awake and nighttime and I'm asleep. That's and right. Those are like magically two different things. And they're not like, we're the same person. We're the same organ systems doing both of those things. So totally.
1: So what are some of the things that would cause, uh, the dysregulation
0: yeah. So, I mean, the standard American diet, first and foremost, is the most common, just eating highly processed, very, you know, very terribly created foods that are, you know, Franken foods that are just chemicals disguised as food products that like our bodies really can't really do much with the nutrients or lack thereof that's in that food. Um A big one also is skipping breakfast. I feel like you hear a lot of conflicting information these days because there's fasting, there's paleo, there's low carb, there's all these different types of diets. But as someone who's been in this field for a very long time, um, most like one of the most simple things that you can do to support your blood sugar is to eat something, eat something for breakfast, even if it's small. Um, So, you know, not eating breakfast can be a trigger for some people. Or if you wake up and the first thing that you do is grab your coffee, you're immediately sending fight or flight chemicals to your adrenal glands to skyrocket your cortisol first thing in the morning while you're in a fasted state. So I would say coffee first thing in the morning on an empty stomach is a really great way to ruin your blood sugar regulation for the day, unfortunately. Um, So eating something with breakfast, you know, and eating something before you have your coffee or mixing something that's like, you know, collagen or butter or something that's some sort of fat or protein in your coffee so that you're not just getting this straight shot of caffeine to the adrenals first thing in the morning while you're fasted um, can be really helpful. But the other common things that we see are just people not eating enough throughout the day, um, just simply not getting enough calories. And you're putting your body in this low grade stress. Uh, where it's not feeling nourished and that can put stress on the thyroid and put stress on blood sugar regulation and put stress on cortisol levels and your ability to properly sleep well. So there's, you know, I feel like I could go on and on, but those are probably the <laughs> those are probably <laughs> the biggest ones that are just like simple day-to-day stuff that a lot of people are doing that they don't realize are impacting their blood sugar.
1: What do you find when you start working with people that like are they? I'm trying to think of how to word this, but I, I think my question is like, what kind of resistance do people come up against? Because I'm, I'm getting, right. Like people yeah. get stuck in their habits. They, they have these dysregulations for a reason There's there's a lifestyle that led to it. And sure. we're so conditioned, you know, in this day and age over, you know, a, century worth of uh, you know the, the medical industry telling you 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 fall into certain categories and you need certain medications to handle everything. So people typically don't look at you know their lifestyle and they don't think that that could be you know a factor. And then to be told that it is, is like, well, that's going to require some time, it's going to require some habit changes, some work, some discomfort, right? So I'm curious what that process is like working with people.
0: Yeah, I mean, it can definitely be frustrating. But I think for me, you know, I've been doing this for six years, I've worked with over, you know, 400 one on one clients, we've run group programs, I do a lot on social media, we do a lot of like, interactions and engagements. And so I think, you know, once you're in this industry for long enough, there's an element of like getting run down and an element of acceptance that like people are going to do what people are going to do. And it's completely out of your control, no matter how important, you know, or think that these certain things are, and they're on their own journey of having to realize or get to a certain point with their health where they are like, Oh my gosh, light bulb moment. I really need to take care of my health in this way. I can't keep doing what I'm doing. So. I would say, you know, most of the clients that we get at this point now that our brand is established and, you know, my demeanor and my style of working with people is very established, which, you know, for people who are new to, you know, hearing from me, meeting me, you know, new to the way that we do things, like I'm very blunt and very direct and very straightforward. And it comes from a very loving place of like, I'm not going to lie to you and I'm not going to bullshit you. And I don't want to be lied to, and I don't want to be bullshitted. And so when it comes to health, it's kind of just like. It's a pretty simple way forward. So I would say at this point, you know, a lot of our clients are, they're already at that point. They kind of know what they're gonna get when they sign up with us. They know that we're gonna be like, we're gonna just kind of hop to it. And they're usually at a point where they're ready, you know, in their health behavior process that by the time they sign up with us, they're like, you know, they're ready and willing to go. You know, that's not to say that everyone is at that point. Um, and then my first couple of years of business, it was it was not that way. There were a lot of people that it was kind of like you know, oftentimes I felt like I cared more than they did, which is a really tricky position to get into when you're in, you know, the business of helping other people, because people need to want to help themselves more than you want to help them in order for things to happen. So, um, yeah, it can definitely be a challenge, but there's always something that is driving people's desire for change. And so I think for me, You know, encouraging and supporting other people and making those changes—it always comes down to some sort of emotional drive. Like I, I've always thought, you know, people, ninety percent of the time are making decisions based out of an emotional need, not like a genuine physical need, even though you might think that, um, or it might practically seem that way. Right. But you know, we really have to tap into, like, well, why do you want this? Well, what is this going to give you for your life? And you know, holding that holding that standard and keeping that in mind is really important throughout the entire process. And then, you know, no pun intended, but you have to give people digestible pieces of information as you're going along (laughs) and not just like overflow them with this black and white program or protocol that's like, here's where you're at and we're going to take you all the way. Like, you know, it doesn't, you can't really do that with people. Um, And we're all hardwired this way. And Myself included, I've just been doing it longer. It just seems like, oh my God, how did you get to this point where your lifestyle and your diet and habits are set up this way? I mean, it's been like over a decade of me working on my health that, like, most of it I don't even think of anymore. But it was really challenging to build those things at one point. So I think there's a lot of, you know, patience, confidence, and trust in clients and just, you know, leaving it in their court to some extent, but, you know, being a guide and being a facilitator to help them get there. But it really is it really is on them and they're either going to do it or they're not. And most of that has, you know, little to do with me and everything to do with where they're at and how committed they are to making these changes and creating new habits that will create this new life for them. So what would you say are some of the biggest misconceptions people
1: have about health, about lifestyle, nutrition? Yeah. Ooh.
0: Um, this one comes up relatively frequently, what I'm about to say, and anyone who's in the field in more of a holistic sense will, you know, or any, any capacity, I would say, I guess, is that the idea and the image that we hold in our minds of what health looks like is completely effed up and just simply not true. So, I mean, I have to say the most unhealthy clients that we have ever had are people that are very low body fat percentage you know, ideal quote unquote body image of how they look. It's like society standards of what health and beauty is. And they're the most unhealthy people. We look at their blood work and their, you know, cholesterol is all out of whack. Blood sugar is all over the place. Um, Inflammatory markers are through the roof. Digestion is terrible. They're running to the bathroom all the time. There's undigested food in their bowel movements. They're not breaking down their food. They're constantly stuck in fight or flight. Their cortisol levels are through the roof. So there's a lot of you know elements of what like the modern you know healthy person really looks like and i just think it's completely off par completely off par when it comes to like how are you feeling how are you sleeping how's your appetite how are your relationships how's your nervousness how's your demeanor like are you feeling good do you have energy to go work out do you have energy to take care of your kids do you have a libido are you happy, healthy, and horny. Like, I mean, all of those things, like as funny as they sound are very important little notations of like, are you just surviving and you look great according to society standards, or are you thriving and you're happy and you feel good and you know, you're enjoying your life and your hormones are good and you have a period cycle and your testosterone is in normal ranges. So I think we've, we've kind of been deceived in the modern world. I think of what healthy looks like and what health actually is and what it feels like and what it it looks like for different people. It can look differently for different people. So I think that's probably one of the biggest things that I see that's like, kind of needs to be a wake-up call to modern society. And I think there's a push in that direction, but like it gets muddied in the waters of, you know, some of these movements that, you know, are just praising, you know, pendulum swing to the complete other opposite yeah. end of the spectrum of obese people being considered healthy. Like, are you worthy of love? Yes. Like, are you beautiful and an amazing human? Yes. Like is obesity healthy? No, like we know there's so many things linked to obesity. So I think, I think society is kind of trying to find like that middle ground, but we're just, we're swinging the pendulum hard in a few different directions, but um, you know, maybe it'll settle in the middle gray at some point where I think most of us live and think and exist, but we'll see what happens.
1: Well, I, I certainly have my theories on, on why that is, but, uh, but I think, and I personally think that that will resolve itself when the people start to take some power and some ownership over their own health, for sure. you know, I, I think that, uh, I think that by and large, they, you know, I call it the power to be, want us to be unhealthy. Um, so yeah, for sure right <laughs> yeah so I think they push the extreme because neither one of them are healthy right so that that's that's not where people should reside but I think people intuitively know that people intuitively know that you know being in one end or the other end of the spectrum is not the pinnacle of health um you know yeah. and that's not to say there aren't outliers even within that there are people who may look like you know what we would traditionally think of being less healthy and <laughs> they're you know for them it's it's healthy. So, yeah. you know, so that, that health, that happens as well, but uh, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> what are some guidelines that you give to people who are, I think when people are starting their own health journey, it's very overwhelming to them. I know some, like personally, I see this in people who are actually close to me, very intelligent people who I'm shocked by just have zero concept of you know, I think we're bombarded with so many messages. There's all these fads and, you know, there's the government regulations that usually are like the complete opposite of what you should actually do. Yeah. Um, and there's all these, uh, the mis, uh, I think the misguided labeling too, you know, yeah. So I think that's very, so I would love to hear, I guess, how you advise people to navigate through some of that and what some of your thoughts are on that.
0: Yeah, I mean, To keep it blunt, like just don't be stupid, (laughs) Um, which is really easy for me to say because I've been in this field for so long and, you know, just I kind of know the tricks of, you know, agencies that are running these labels and running these things. And honestly, what's ultimately really sad to me is that a lot of people that are kind of tricked and duped and, you know, kind of caught up in a lot of the mainstream nutrition suggestions and are following these labels and listening to these, you know, government regulations and suggestions from USDA, FDA, you know, some of the RD programs and things like that. That's, you know, not all bad, but there's definitely some things in there. That's like, what the hell is that? That's not healthy. Like canola oil is not heart healthy. It is not good for you. Like just go, go to YouTube real quick and watch how canola oil is made. It is one of the most highly processed chlorinated stripped of its nutrients, like toxic chemical that was used in world war two for, lubrication on warships and like mechanical tools that there was an overflow of, and the government decided to put it in our food supply and then call it healthy. It is not healthy. So there's, you know, that's one example. There's so many examples of that. And like I was saying, the thing that's really sad to me is that most of these people are like, they're really trying, they're really going out of their way to read labels. Well, this says that it's healthy. Well, this says that it's good for me. Well, this says that it's, you know, going to be good for my family. And the reality is most people don't have the time and don't want to dig into and don't want to look at the research, or maybe just aren't interested in, you know, jumping into the nutrition field to learn these things. So they're just saying, I'm going to trust the person who's been doing this, who has the degree, who says all of these things, you know, trust the expert, and I'm going to let them make the choice because I don't have the time to dig into all this myself. So, you know, it ultimately to me is a sad situation because I find that the people who are really wrapped up in this stuff, they're not doing it because they're stupid. They're not doing it because they want to be unhealthy or they like, you know, saw the research and then chose to do the toxic unhealthy thing. Like they're, they're trying to do the right thing and they just have no idea that it's actually a very unhealthy way of living and a very unhealthy way of eating food. So um, yeah, I mean, guidelines, I would say like, there's just, there's so many loopholes in the food system Um, Even, you know, the term grass fed has been completely ruined over the last couple of years with USDA, FDA regulations and what that means. And the thing that's challenging with a lot of these, you know, these rules, allegations, labels and everything that's within it is that they they make these changes and then they don't tell the general public. Um, So then you don't know. So, you know, at first when people really wanted grass fed foods and it started getting labeled, they were probably genuinely grass fed. Meaning they were, you know, they started on grass, they were finished on grass. They were properly raised animals that are super nutrient dense, but now USDA and FDA has said that if the animal is on grass for any period of time, even if it's just the first week of their life, you can label that animal as grass fed meat. So, you know, like how is grass fed meat so cheap all of a sudden now, like, because they changed the labels, they changed the rules. It's not genuinely grass-fed, grass-finished, humanely raised, humanely slaughtered, and super high-quality food coming from a family farm down the street from you. You know, there's all of these different ways to be duped into thinking that your food is really healthy. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I would just encourage people to read a little bit more. And I think the best thing to do, you know, depending upon where you live and there's, you know, big search engines online that you can look at to find high quality farmers and foods and meat CSAs and, um, you know, all sorts of different foods, foods, vegetables, anything in your area or have it shipped to you. Like there's so many options now, but I would encourage people to just go look there. Um, you know, so many of us don't even know where our food comes from. Um, I remember when I was in college and like doing some projects and asking kids in a classroom, like, where does, where does your meat come from? It comes from a styrofoam package at the grocery store. Like there's this disconnect that like there was an animal that was sacrificed that like, we need to be grateful for that we're getting these nutrients from. Um, So I think, you know, making an effort to have relationships with your local farmers, have connection to your food, have resources where you can get real food from a real person, from a real farm in a real area near you is huge. Like we, so much now like the industrialization of our food we rely on labeling to entrust these companies that they're giving us quality products and most of them are not so you know there's i think there's kind of levels to you know how deep do you want to go how intense do you want to be how much do you want to spend um how much time do you have like how important is this to you so i think you know you can go all out, which is currently where my family is, where like we get our meat from a local farmer. We have relationships with them. We get raw milk from a local dairy farmer that we have relationships with. And I can go to that farm and see all the cows that all have names and are treated like family pets. Like there's just a, you know, that's what we choose to do, but you could also just choose the highest quality food at your supermarket. And that's a great starting place. You know, there's no shame in just getting started and like as you know better, you do better and you learn more and you implement more. It's very much a process, but yeah, it's challenging. It's a very challenging time to just eat healthy.
1: Yeah, which should be the most basic, simple thing. And it is, in this, yeah. these days, one of the most difficult things. Um, I think also you, you talked about uh, There was a thing you said about just, you know, uh, the kids not understanding. I mean, I honestly think it's a lot of adults as well, just not understanding and having this disconnect and not understanding that an animal was sacrificed and that you should be grateful for the nutrients that you're being provided as a result of that. And there is so much biologically in our digestion that happens long before we even take our first bite. And for so sure. that has been lost by the industrialization of food. But I think a lot of that could be at least a starting place to recapture that would be to have the understanding and have the mindset uh, to appreciate, you know, what it takes for that to arrive on your plate, you know, or yeah. And, yeah.
0: 100%. And I mean, you know, talking about digestion, digestion starts in the brain, digestion optimally, should happen. And we should be eating and thinking about food and all these things when we're in a rest and digest or a parasympathetic nervous system state. And in that rest and digest, calm, relaxed nervous system state, the brain can optimally signal to digestive organs like, Hey, we're hungry. We're about to eat. And the brain can tell the liver, gallbladder, pancreas, stomach to start creating hydrochloric acid or your stomach acid to start breaking down proteins and your you know, common bile duct to release bile to start emulsifying and breaking down fats. And there's all of these biological processes that are so important that like, you know, the older I get and the more that I look at, like how my grandparents, you know, did life and were raised and ate food and said grace before meals, and you can loop it into whatever religion or whatever belief system you want, but taking a moment to sit and think and be present with your food and be grateful and take a moment to think about what's about to happen. Be grateful for where it came from. Be grateful for the people that brought it to you. Be grateful that you have food to nourish yourself. Like, you know, I think it's usually more of a religious connotation, but the reality is like, it's kind of a hardwired physiological, you know, I would say a need to, to do that. If you want to be digesting and absorbing your nutrients optimally is to make that connection Um, and we're so disconnected. I mean, everything is fast. Everyone's eating on the go, eating in the car, eating while they're standing, eating while they're walking. Most people are not in a parasympathetic nervous system state when they're eating. And what people don't realize is when you are, you know, in that sympathetic or that fight or flight state while you're eating, your brain is not properly signaling to these organ systems involved in digestion to optimally break down your foods. And since digestion starts in the brain and digestion is a North to South process as well. Meaning if there's dysfunction from the start, it can wreak havoc throughout the whole system. Or if it's optimal from the start, it can be supportive throughout the whole system. Um, You know, just by simply being in that fight or flight state while eating, you can, you can mess up all sorts of aspects of digestion. So, I mean, that, that moment of like, I know where my food came from. I have this relationship. I'm going to be grateful for my food. And this is This is just what I'm doing. I'm not on my phone. I'm not watching TV. I'm just eating my food, and I'm just present with my food. Like, sounds so boring, and it's so important. It's one of the most important and most simple things that we suggest to pretty much every client we have because so many people are not doing that—just being present with their food.
1: Yeah, no, that it's so true, and I feel like it's progressively
0: getting worse and worse. Yeah, for sure, for (laughs) sure. It's kind of a crazy time. It's like one of the things in the world that like stresses me out the most is I just feel like we're in this, you know, heavy swing away from like how we're just created, you know, religion aside, like we're just, we're hardwired. We are like less than 1% different than cavemen. Like we are hardwired for a much slower environment, for being out in the sunshine, for being out in the world and communicating with people and, you know, not on technology all day and not running around all day and not thinking about 50 million things all day. Like there's a lot in the modern world that we're just simply not hardwired for. So, you know, if you want to be healthy in the modern era, you really do have to swim upstream. And I think there's a lot of, a lot of people that are just not willing to do that, not willing to take the time to do that unless something big happens with their health and they're forced to. So just kind of depends.
1: (laughs) Right. right. So, so in some cases that can be a blessing in disguise when they have those, I mean, I always think of like your, uh, health markers are a lot of times like an alarm signal and it, you know, sometimes it starts off with like a, a slow kind of, you know, subtle ringing and then it gets louder and louder. It's like, pay attention, pay attention. We're telling you we need, we need help.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
1: What, um, what are your thoughts about, uh, you, you talked about like the modern world and how we're so disconnected from it. Um, and I, I think for most people, you know, they, they can't just go off the grid and, uh, yeah. you know, their <laughs> food. and I, I know there are people moving in that direction and I applaud them. I absolutely applaud them. But a lot okay. of people don't have the ability or desire to do that. So what are some really simple things that people can start with that will support them, you know, without having to completely, you know, revamp their entire yeah
0: yeah yeah good question I think it's like yeah yeah and I think wherever you live just to make this as general and like supportive for anyone listening as much as I possibly can um you know getting outside in the sun especially first thing in the morning like before you look at the blue light on your phone go go get outside into the daylight even if it's cloudy even if it's raining or it's snowing like the sun doesn't need to be blaring it doesn't need to be you know, blue skies, but you need to get your eyes exposed to natural sunlight, no matter what the sunlight looks that day. That is massively important for circadian rhythm, for cortisol production, for sleep, for blood sugar regulation, all the things we talked about before. Um, And we're just primarily hardwired to, you know, our biphasic cycle of sleep time and awake time is regulated by the sun, by our circadian rhythm. So being in the sun and getting exposure to sun is massive. And, you know, preferably without any eye, you know, sunglasses or anything blocking the eyes from seeing the the sunlight and the UV light coming from the sun. That is what, you know, trips the photons in your eyes to trigger the whole body to say, Hey, there's the sunlight. I see it. And here's what we're going to do with it. And we're going to trigger production of vitamin D synthesis. And, you know, there's all of these things going on in the body that we can get into the complex nuances of, but they're actually very simple. You know, sunlight is not a bad thing for you. Um, and if you are burning easily in the sunlight, it's usually because you're eating too many seed oils and canola oil, and you don't have enough healthy fats and fat soluble vitamins in your diet, so your body can't properly synthesize the sunlight, and you'll burn very easily. So, random, random little side note, but. Um, Dang. Yeah. I mean, I know how
1: I I actually heard that uh, seed oils can stay in the body for up to two years. They're so incredibly inflammatory and toxic, but I did not realize that they could uh, interrupt your vitamin D synthesis.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot. I mean, they just, they really deplete and affect, um, you know, absorption of fatty acids and high quality fat soluble nutrients, like vitamin A. So our vitamins A, D, E, and K, those are all of our fat-soluble vitamins, meaning that those nutrients need fat in order to be properly digested, absorbed, absorbed, <laughs> absorbed, and assimilated throughout the body and properly utilized. We need those cofactors. We need fat with those nutrients for them to function properly. So if we're eating you know, these rancid, terrible fats that are actually chemicals um, and we're not eating enough of fat-soluble vitamins and high-quality sources, it can affect our skin, our skin is the largest organ on our body. And, you know, there's so many other cascades of challenges that come from this industrialized way of living. Um, but aside from sunlight, you know, simple things that everyone can do. I think sunlight's just the easiest go outside. It's just so simple. Um, breathing fresh air. You know, so many of us are locked in our homes all day. So many of these homes too, from a construction standpoint are like hermetically sealed. There's no flow. There's no airflow. It's all stagnant air. And it's actually, you know, the air in our homes are way more unhealthy than the air outside, even if you're living in a highly populated area. So get outside, get in the sun, breathe some fresh air. I think that's massively important. Um, the other thing I think is being barefoot outside, getting grounded. I feel like that's one of the most woo things that people probably, you know, think of. But it's it's so important to connect with the ions that are naturally found in the earth and to be barefoot. You know, if you think about how much we have shoes on outside in the grass or anywhere we go, they're usually rubber-soled shoes. So you're not getting any of the, you know, the ions and the groundedness and that connection to the earth and just feeling grounded as a person. So I think that's another super important thing. Um, hydration and mineral balance is another simple one. Trying to drink the, you know, highest quality of water that you can. Tap water is loaded with an unbelievable amount of terrible ingredients, even if you have quote unquote good water. So you can check out mytapscore.com and see everything that is in your local water. And you'd be very surprised to see the levels of chlorination or metals or toxins I or you know, sometimes there's even radiation in your water. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, radioactive elements, that's another geez. I mean, I feel like I could go off on a million tangents with all of these <laughs> things, but radioactive elements are really big. Uh, you know, underlying root cause that we see with some of our clients as well um, with just challenging health issues. But, but yeah, I think, you know, proper hydration, my rule of thumb with clients is to drink half your, take your body weight, divide it by two. And that's baseline of ounces you should be drinking in a day. So if you weigh 200 pounds, you should be drinking at least a hundred ounces of water each day to stay hydrated. And then you know, drinking water itself doesn't just hydrate you. You need a balance of electrolytes or sodium, potassium, magnesium, trace minerals. So making sure that you have minerals in your water and a simple way to do this is to just take a pinch of mineral salt. So not the white ionized table salt that again, another thing in our food supply that has been stripped of nutrients, vilified, like salt's very good for you. Every single cell in your body requires sodium for sodium potassium pumps to stay hydrated. So making sure that you're consuming high quality salt is extremely important. And that can be the source where you get your minerals. So one thing that we suggest for clients, if they don't want to spend money on some expensive mineral supplement is just buy, you know, a nutrient dense salt, a mineral salt like Himalaya pink salt or, I personally really love, and it's what we always have in our house is Redmond's real salt. It comes from a salt mine in Utah, but it has seventy five plus trace minerals in it. So you're getting salt in its most natural form with all of the other mineral cofactors. So you can just take a pinch of that salt, put it in your water. it'll help you actually absorb and hydrate that water on a cellular level. So one of the biggest complaints that I get from people is, you know, i increase my water and I'm running to the bathroom all the time and Nine times out of ten, it's not a hydration issue in terms of water. It's usually a mineral balance issue, an electrolyte issue, where you actually don't have enough minerals to hold that water within your cells and actually hydrate you on a cellular level. So, okay.
1: yeah, I, I'm a saltaholic, and I love Redmond's And people yeah. make so much fun of me because, like, I, I put salt on everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, clearly need it. I mean, I drink a lot of water too, but yeah, yeah, it's huge. Balance is really important, and especially for anybody who's active, like the amount of salt that you lose is, you know, yeah, a lot. Yeah,
0: so for sure. And these stressed out states, too. I mean, people that have any type of adrenal dysfunction or cortisol dysregulation, the adrenals need plenty of vitamin C, sodium, and potassium to function optimally. So if you're fatigued and you're feeling like crap. You know some high quality not ascorbic acid but a whole food vitamin c um you can even just google whole food vitamin c and you'll find a bunch of you know natural supplements that likely have those synergistic elements um and salt and potassium so those are i mean those are huge for energy so i mean this the vilification of salt is just like beyond me if anyone's like interested in learning more about that just look up like the real history of salt and the ionization of salt and like the history of so many of these things that we are still doing come from the weirdest industrialization um you know i guess we could say like inventions that we just put into the food supply that like we actually don't need anymore and it's making people sick it's kind of crazy
1: yeah i'd love to go down some of those rabbit holes but i want to back up a bit to creation (laughs) (laughs) um Because there's actually a really interesting timeline correlation between like, quote unquote, pandemics and uh, industrialization and increase of radiation during those time periods. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm curious what you've seen with like radiation and uh, your clients. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it really is. Gosh, I mean, there's just so many different elements to it. I will say like anyone that we work with that has a history of cancer and has gone through radiation, we get these like, we get these healing blocks with people. So I mean, there's not really any good way to test on a lab test for radiation at this point that I'm personally aware of, but we do use some binders from a company that's called Cellcore Biosciences, an unbelievable company that has a, a binder that specifically binds to um, radioactive elements. And there's so many people that are dealing with radioactive elements stuck in the body that are really just blocking their ability to properly function. So, you know, whether people want to realize it or not, we are very much energetic beings. We are impacted by these electromagnetic fields and radiation and all of these things on, on so many different levels. And I think, you know, I don't know everything about this stuff and I don't know that anyone really does, but the element of like the, the quantum field of the human body that we can't see is, is massive. And the implications of all of these different elements and, you know, 5G and frequencies and all this different stuff that is just impacting us constantly has a massive impact on our health, whether we're really aware of it or not. And so, you know, I've heard a handful of people, and this might sound completely wacko to some people that, you know, maybe haven't looked into this stuff, but the connection between the onset of 5G and then you know, COVID and like all of these things, like,
1: came out and admitted it that they have admitted it at this point. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of insane. And I just, you know, I, I come from the mindset of very much being a proponent of um, terrain theory instead of germ theory. You know, I went through college and I learned both of those things and we like skimmed over terrain theory. It was like, oh yeah, this guy, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it was like, what the hell? That sounds like totally valid. But germ theory was like, but germ theory, like here's all of the things about germ theory. And it was like, well, that doesn't make sense because why would a healthy person not get sick and an unhealthy person get sick if terrain theory didn't exist at all? It clearly does. And you can see that in any illness. You can see that with COVID. You can see that with the common cold. You can see that with you know, food poisoning, everybody eats the same meal and a couple people get super sick and someone doesn't, you know, we're talking about the health of the microbiome or the gut ecosystem. There's like terrain theory is very real, which for those of you that aren't familiar, essentially just states that the, the ecosystem and the environment of your internal terrain, meaning like your own health, your own body, your own ecosystem, um, matters in terms of you getting sick. So, you know, germ theory says germs, come along, you come into contact with them, they make you sick. Mm -hmm. And terrain theory says you can come into contact with these germs, but depending upon your terrain and environment and how healthy it is, you may or may not get sick. So taking care of your environment and your internal terrain is actually what's most important and actually what will keep you healthy and why some people get sick and why some people don't. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just completely insane that that is not even considered. And the onset and like the, you know, when we adopted that into, you know, the medical system and the education system and everything, you know, dates back to like a really wild history. But it's just, it's crazy to me that we still, you know, deny this, or we still don't talk about this, or even all through the pandemic, like, I'll admit, like, when, you know, first week, first two weeks, I was like, oh, shit, like, I was freaked out. I didn't know what was going on. Like, I have strong trust in my body and its ability to heal. I've been in the field for a while. I've been working on these things for a while. But I was even freaked out. And then it was like, like, I remember within the second week, there was no talk of how, here's how to strengthen your immune system. Here's some nutrients that can help build up your immunity. Here's some things that can, you know, and there, there's still, there still is no talk of that. It was the opposite.
1: They've shut down the gyms. You have to stay inside there essential businesses are liquor stores and donut shops. Like it was insane antithetical to anything that would build immunity Exactly <laughs> yourself from your loved ones and from other humans. And
0: yeah. 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 Completely insane. Completely insane. And like no judgment on any choices that anyone has made throughout this entire time. Cause I think it's just been stressful, but I think the lack of critical thinking and the lack of sharing genuinely helpful information can't say I'm surprised but I can't believe that like literally none of it has come out of like our officials or regulating bodies. And, you know, again, not surprised, but like shame on them. They have made everything exponentially worse throughout this entire process. And as someone who dedicates my days and times and my research and my energy to help people with their health and help them heal. And I watch people's bodies literally heal from autoimmune diseases and, you know, RA numbers go back into remission and pain go away. Like we are hardwired for this healing. Like there is just an unbelievable craving that I like to refer to as like the innate intelligence of the body. And you can refer to it as God or universe or whatever you connect with. But we have this unbelievable innate intelligence in the body that knows how to heal. It wants to heal. And it will, if you give it the right tools and it won't get sick, if you give it the elements to thrive. And I think there's just like this massive lack of trust within our own selves. There's this massive disconnect of the the power and the authority that we do have over our own bodies and the choices like we talked about this with the obesity versus the you know too thin kind of dynamic of like people really just don't want to take charge they don't want to take responsibility and there's layers of you know generational trauma or emotional trauma or unhealed things that i think contribute to this like total shit show of people just kind of being asleep with like what's really going on and it's sad and it stresses me out. And it's like, it is a crazy time. It is a completely crazy time.
1: Absolutely. It's so crazy. I want to talk a little bit about uh, terrain versus germ theory. This is something I, I I've been really trying to tease out and it, I, yeah. I would admit, like, I'm somebody who had huge resistance to it in initially, um, mostly yeah. because one of the lead proponents of, you know, the terrain theory is uh, Dr. Steven Lanka, who, I don't know if you're familiar
0: with him and his work. All yeah, right. a little bit. I'm more familiar with, like, the original... Oh, the original Chump, yeah, yeah, Antoine Bichamp. yeah. That's like where a lot of my understanding has come from, and like some of his old books and original research. Like, <laughs> I've spent some time in those like nerdy areas, but I actually haven't heard of the guy that you just brought up. Oh no, and
1: he's great, and uh, he's uh you know the you know the I, I guess his a uh, opposer would be uh, Louis Pasteur,
0: so- yeah.
1: And he's who really got thrusted into the forefront and supported by the mainstream medical scientific industry. Right. Um, and a lot of that did have to do with industrialization, which you probably know quite a bit about. and You can speak to. Um, <laughs> I'd love to hear your thoughts on that, because I think that would be really interesting for people. Um, yeah. I'll just tell you quickly before we go into that. Uh, Stephen Lenka was uh, he was the one who there was a Supreme Court case and he awarded people. He said he would hold an award for a, I, I don't remember the amount, but it was a very large. Sum of money uh, for anybody who, you know, wanted to prove that you know they could be directly um that germ measles essentially was a direct contagion and mm-hmm. he he lost i i even i can at this point concede a lot of it was a technicality uh to Barden's and uh but his but i was born with congenital rubella so mm-hmm. You know, so when it's, when it's personal, it's very hard to like, you know, right. So it's kind of like, well, then what happened to me, but here's where I go. I bring all of this up to say that where I go with this is that I think people get very trapped in binary logic. You know, they're all one or the other. It's black or it's white. And the reality is most things reside in the shades of gray. And I think when it comes to, uh, you know, the the body itself and certainly when it comes to what we call viruses and germs and uh, pathogens, we actually know so much less than the scientific community would like to lead us to believe. And so you know it's much easier to categorize things and to say, well, it's you know all this camp and you know nothing about it. So you know, just trust the experts. But the reality is from what I can tell, and I this I'm not a doctor, Susan, so I'm not a virologist, so it's not my field of expertise, but from the research that I've done is that you know, I do definitely support terrain theory. I think the internal terrain, as you said, it makes perfect sense. Why is it that if if a whole group, a whole table of people eating the same thing and, you know, some of them get sick and others don't, it couldn't just be that that was bad. It's that, you know, maybe it was bad, but your body's a detox machine. It's designed to heal and to detox from things that, you know, aren't good for it. So yeah. I do think that that is really important, but that doesn't necessarily negate the possibility that some things are going to be uh, more toxic than others and things for that sure. might have a higher, uh, and we, you know, we all have different toxicity thresholds. So, you know, again, that's the terrain theory, but mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that there are no contagions or there's no germs that can act as pathogens. Mm-hmm. So I think this is, that, that's where I really like to kind of just hone that in for people because people get so caught. They It's like if something resonates, they want to glob onto that because they really don't understand the complexity and the nuances that reside. So yeah. And I think it really is. It's a hybrid of the, of the two that makes the most sense to me personally. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And I think you're I think you're spot on. And I think there's still so much that you know, again, like you said, like so many people that are in the scientific and medical community, they don't really fully understand, you know, we don't really fully understand like virology. You can study it, but there's so much we don't know. There's so much about nutrition and the body and functionality that we don't know, you know, going back to the example of sunlight, like humans have been out in the sun and outdoors forever. We know it's good for you. And now we're kind of at a point in humanity. We're like, well, why, well, why is it good for you? Well, we know that sunlight, you know, synthesizes vitamin D Through hormones and cofactors in the skin and in the body. And we know that when people have low levels of vitamin D, they're at higher risk of inflammation and they're at, you know, all these other things. But sunlight does so much more than just vitamin D. You know, it's almost like the natural environment and our God-given instincts are not stupid. They're not wrong. There's a meaning for them. And just because we can't write all, you know, all the little tiny little bits of why on a piece of paper to prove like, and I know it, and this is why. Like sometimes there's like a primal knowing that is so much more powerful that we already know before we can scientifically prove something. So I think there's that element that's kind of mixed into like, you know, terrain theory versus germ theory, where it's like logic and critical thinking would say it is not germs alone that cause disease. Like germs are connected and correlated with illness. And can they be passed in certain situations and circumstances? For sure. Are contagious illnesses very real? For sure. But like, just because it's contagious doesn't mean you're going to get it. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe not. It depends on your terrain. Like I think there's tons of gray area. And I think, you know, diving into terrain theory a little bit more, you know, there's a lot of, you know, some of the doctors and functional medicine doctors and researchers that I follow have been really digging into trying to understand terrain theory more. And, you know, in my office and in my clinic, we do a lot of toxicity testing. We look at a lot of environmental toxins, things like VOCs, volatile organic compounds. Um you know mycotoxins, which are the toxins created as byproduct of certain mold species that create these toxic byproducts that can impact and make people sick. Um, we look at plastics, herbicides, pesticides, all of these things, and what levels they are in people's bodies. Because um, a lot of the clients that we get are extremely complex cases. They've been to multiple practitioners, they've been to multiple doctors, they don't have answers. Medicine's not working. Doctors are at a loss, and we really open up the hood and see like, what's going on? What kind of toxicity are we dealing with? What types of toxins that are, you know, nephrotoxic or, you know, impacting the kidneys, the liver, the lungs, the digestive system, that's like wreaking havoc and messing up the entire ecosystem of these, you know, parts of the body and shutting down and causing massive amounts of dysfunction. Like, how can we get in there and can we get rid of these things? And if we get rid of those things that are toxic in the ecosystem and environment, Will the ecosystem heal itself? And it does. And so when we talk about terrain theory, um, you know, there's, you can look up some research on this stuff, or I can send you some things to add into show notes, but there's a lot of research that really does support terrain theory that, you know, if you have some sort of toxicity and you throw that into an environment or an ecosystem, it's going to allow certain bacteria or pathogens or species to, you know, overgrow or what we would call proliferate Mm -hmm. Um, or you'd see things that are going to die out and die off. And so what you're essentially doing when you put toxicity into a natural environment or a chemical or a manmade, you know, element or toxin into a natural environment, you create this massive imbalance and dysfunction in the ecosystem and what a lot of research is showing and what some of these doctors that i follow are you know kind of speaking to is that there's this this process called pleomorphism where our natural god-given bacteria that is you know symbiotic and part of our ecosystem and our gut and so many different aspects of our body when they're exposed to toxins they can pleomorph meaning they can change shape and structure and function if they're exposed to a toxin which can make them turn into a more virulent or a more you know, prolific type of bacteria or pathogen or virus. Um, And the other element too, that I think is a misconception when we talk about viruses is that like you can, and you can Google this, anyone can go Google this. Look and search, is a virus living? Is a virus a living thing? It is not, it is not alive. So how could something that is not alive be contagious? And where is it coming from if it's not alive and it's, so contagious? Like, what does that even really look like? And again, I don't have all the answers, but I think these are questions that, that need to be researched and looked at. And the reality is viruses are actually have a lot more in common with exosomes. So exosomes are something that our cells will, you know, if they're exposed to some sort of toxicity, chemical pathogen, um, they will kind of kick out this exosome, which is like an extracellular vesicle that has DNA material in it that your cells can pass from cell to cell to say like, hey, this was in the cell and here's what we think we should do with it. And it can spread. It's so- actually mRNA material. It's
1: it's a messenger RNA that yes, inst- yes that instructs exactly. other cells what to do. Yeah.
0: Exactly. Yeah. So we've got this genetic material that's, you know, communicating. So I think there's, you know, that in and of itself that like we call viruses viruses, we call, you know, exosomes exosomes, but they're actually kind of the same thing. And that maybe they potentially come from a very similar process of toxin exposure, cell-to-cell communication. Maybe we're around other people and our cells are trying to tell their cells, hey, look out. You know, I don't know. I think there's, there's so many things that we don't know. And there's so many questions that still need to be asked and answered. And I think we're just, you know, what science is, is asking why all the time nonstop. And it's just silly that there's, there's so many things that we actually don't know. And there's this mass psychosis of just blind trust and you know the isolation and all these elements. And I, I know you've had you know so many people on your podcast talking about this. So without beating a dead horse, it's just like you know, my stance is like I'm heartbroken for the amount of fear that people are stuck in. Like I have no judgment on how people are feeling or you know, experiencing this whole pandemic and everything that's been going on for the last two years. But it's just kind of like, oh my God, we have to be able to ask questions. We have to be able to talk about this, we have to be able to. Um, you know, have access to information so that those of us who do want to learn and we do want to make our own decisions and we don't want to blindly trust that we are able to do that. And it's that, that element of, you know, freedom of choice that, that gets, that gets really scary, you know? And it's, it's kind of a, it's a funny dynamic and the fear, you know, fear does really crazy things. So I just, yeah, I mean, this, all of this stuff is super fascinating to me and like, you know, Maybe one day we'll have all the answers on train theory, germ theory, what's really going on, how the body really reacts to all this stuff, you know, what viruses actually are. And, you know, there's tons of info out there, Um, but. but right now we don't. But the one thing I
1: will say is that, you know, just like you were saying with all this fear, right? So with exosomes, they can, because it is this messenger RNA material that's in them, they can be, you know, instructing for beneficial healing properties. In fact, people are using exosomes as a, you know, right now, they're only FDA approved for more cosmetic treatments, which is typically how those sort of things begin because they can't, right? That's how they kind of circumvent. Um, But they're being used for like wound healing for, you know, all sorts of really remarkable things. So that same thing, you know, anything that's really powerful can be used for good or for, you know, the, the the antithesis of that, you know, so I think that, but to combat some of the fear, I think people need, need to understand that, that, you know, most of our bodies are viral material. That doesn't mean it's always bad, right? It can be doing, in fact, it helps us to build immunity, to upgrade our, our, our entire, you know, ecosystem within the body. So, yeah, but sure. we're being programmed to think that whatever it is, it's bad and <laughs> we should be afraid of it. For and, sure creates a whole, uh, you know, a, a feedback system. It's a feedback loop, you know, from the brain to the body. That's, you know, not, not so good, not so
0: good at all. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's an interesting, it's an interesting time. And one thing that you mentioned, you know, you know, being born with rubella and, you know, questioning those things, there's also an element of generational toxicity that's passed on, um, I think a lot of people aren't aware of those things too, that like, you know, you mentioned, we all have different toxicity thresholds. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that comes from the fact that we all just have a different toxicity bucket. Like if I, you know, hold this glass up, maybe you were born with toxicity that was really high because of whatever reason, or your mother or your grandmother exposures that they had and environmental toxins or heavy metals passed down in vitro. Like there's so many different things. And maybe somebody else was, you know, less, and then, you know, we manifest things differently. So You know, you look at just the amount of toxicity that has been just polluted into generation after generation and, you know, the infertility that we're seeing more consistently and all these other things. It's like, you know, and I, the only reason why I have such a strong opinion about this stuff is that this is what we do in my office. This is what we do with our clients. This is what I see every day is we run these toxin panels. They're through the roof. People have, you know, doctors that can't figure out why they have this autoimmunity, why they have this liver dysfunction, why they have this, why they have that we go through, you know, three, six, nine, 12 month protocols with clients to lower the toxic burden, bind to these things up, um, you know, sweat these things out, optimize our detoxification systems and organs so that we can actually get rid of these things from the body because they're man made and our our bodies don't have, you know, innate systems to get rid of these things. Our bodies are hardwired to create, created to like, you know, get rid of things that are found in the natural world. And there's so much in our environment that is not natural that our body doesn't really have these God-given systems to get rid of these terrible man-made products that are now all over our environment that have been passed down from generation to generation to generation since the industrialization era. So, I mean, we're just completely inundated with it. And the crazy thing is like, as we go through these protocols with our clients, like I mentioned this before, but like, we'll see, like we just had a client who had, you know, diagnosed rheumatoid arthritis markers through the roof after six months, markers are down like she doesn't even have markers for RA anymore. And her doctor's like, I don't know what you're doing, but keep doing it. So, you know, again, I don't diagnose or treat disease. I'm really looking at dysfunction, toxicity. How can we optimize this? How can we get things out of the body that shouldn't be there? How can I support the organ systems in a natural way that if we give them what they need, they will function optimally. They will detox things properly, but there's, you know, there's all these different elements. So when we think about well, why that person and not me and well, why this and well that, you know, like to me and like what we see in the hundreds of clients we work with every year is like toxicity is the biggest threat to so many people that are dealing with these, you know, just these shitty symptoms that just won't seem to go away. That's just like that nagging thing that just slowly gets worse. The amount of neurodegeneration that we're seeing like heavy metals are one of the biggest assaults on, you know, Alzheimer's neurodegeneration at any capacity. Like you can bind and chelate and detox heavy metals out of the system, get them out of the brain tissue before they manifest. Um, and there's like these early markers that, you know, we start to see the clients of like brain fog and like, I can't really remember what I did yesterday. And like, oh, you know, I'm just, I'm busy. I'm thinking about too many things. And, you know, there's all these little things. And I just recently saw that Alzheimer's is supposed to be the leading cause of death by 2030, which is I like, I just can't even wow wrap, wrap my mind around that. So, I mean, there's just there's an insane amount of like, we have to be able to start asking these questions about how is the things we're putting in our bodies, on our bodies, in our environment, which end up in our bodies and end up in the food sources and in the foods that we eat. Like we're low key, slowly destroying ourselves in my opinion, you know, without being too morbid and like negative, but like, okay. we, we got to make some changes. We've got to make some big changes. And it's you know, some things are out of our control and, you know, we're all going to die at some point, like, (laughs) right. Right. All all we want to do is survive, but like, we're all inevitably going to pass at some point, but like, we want to thrive while we're here, you know? And it's just like, we've got to, like, that's what I'm driven by is like, I want to help people passionately live their lives and, and how can we do that? And this has been, you know, this, this chapter of my business is just been like an unbelievable chapter of like, oh my gosh, like, I feel like like you can't unsee these things once you see them happening with hundreds of people. And, you know, if this were a study, it'd be a small study, but it's, it's very yeah. real. It's very real.
1: Very, very real. And I've also read that they're, they're calling Alzheimer's like type three diabetes.
0: Yeah. 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 I mean, it's a, it's all inflammatory based. It's an inflammatory pathway. Um, so yeah. Wow. And
1: there's so much that can be done to help that so, and to prevent that, so to say by 2030, I mean, that's, that's eight years from now. That's crazy.
0: I know. Yeah. I forget where I saw that, but I saw that in passing. Um, I think maybe yesterday, my days are all jumbled. Here I go with like, maybe I've got the early onset, who knows, but, um, <laughs> no, I'm totally kidding. We've been traveling back and forth, but I forget where I saw that, um, But yeah, I think neurodegeneration is going to start being more and more, you know, prolific, you know, is Alzheimer's going to be number one by 2030 as projected? I don't know. Hopefully we can kind of get ahead of that. But I mean, man-made chemicals and environmental toxins are something that massively drives, you know, these, these types of symptoms. And like, we see it as brain fog and, you know, irritability, moodiness, all sorts of different things with our clients. And, um. You know, some of the doctors that I follow do a lot of extensive research on, you know, mitochondrial function and different elements of neurological function kind of tied in with that. And, you know, the things that they're doing to kind of combat this is, you know, very much based on detoxing, you know, different types of toxins, heavy metals, environmental toxins, things like that to really open up and allow the body to function as it's supposed to. We have all, we have so many neurological, um, you know, threats, I think in the modern
1: environment
0: that like we're greatly overlooking um, in a lot of different aspects. I mean, this vaccine alone is like the the neurological damage that some people are experiencing. Not everybody, but some people are experiencing, you know, and I, I, again, you know, why are some people having these crazy reactions to the vaccine and why are some people not? Like, I would argue it's toxic load. I would argue that it is rooted in this stuff. And like, we've had clients that have been damaged by the vaccine. It's like just terrible. So like, I mean, the more we inject and put in and question and don't question, and like, we've, we have to be able to start like, you know, slow the roll a little bit. Let's ask a couple questions here and like, see what's like really going on. There's, we're just inundated with so many things in the modern world. So
1: we, we absolutely are. What are some of the things people can start with to enhance their detox pathways?
0: Yeah, so this is something that I often refer to as the drainage funnel. Um, and I can like send you a graphic if you wanna share this and maybe yeah, you've heard this before. Love it. So in the body, our cells drain into our lymphatic system which drains into our um, you know, liver and gallbladder which drains into the colon, which eventually you know, at the bottom of this drainage funnel if you're imagining all those things from top to bottom the bottom of that drainage funnel would be your bowel movement. Um, you know, one of the biggest ways that we get rid of waste. So, um, you know, in order to support those things, you absolutely have to make sure that you're having a bowel movement at least once a day. That's like the biggest thing is mm-hmm. if you're not going, you know, number two, at least once a day, you've got an issue, you've got, you know, a dysregulation in your detoxification pathways. Your body is not effectively clearing toxins, like literally out of the body. So, you know, constipation or, you know, intermittent constipation is definitely something you want to make sure that you're, you know, you're not stuck in that loop because essentially what happens if the, you know, the bottom of that drainage funnel, so to speak, is plugged, we're just recirculating toxins and you, you can get backed up, you know, you can push that back up and then overburden the liver and the gallbladder, which is going to overburden the lymphatic system, which is going to overburden your cells so that every, you know, system involved in detoxification can really get, overburdened and create different types of dysfunction in the body. So, um, you know, bowel movements, making sure you're having consistent bowel movements every day is a super important one ways to do that. Um, you know, you need to get at root cause for some of our clients that's, you know, parasites, just a whole other conversation, but we see parasites really consistently, um, you know, whether they're microscopic and you can't see them with the naked eye or they're helmets and the worms and you can see them. Like we, we see both. Um, the other thing that might be impairing, you know, root cause of constipation could be like food sensitivities, um, even like emotional fears, like holding yourself back feeling like you can't do something like we see emotional roots with a lot of our clients. Um, so we refer out to a lot of therapists and people that work in like more of the emotional realm um, or it could just be like general digestive functionality issues when it comes to constipation. So like we talked before about, you know, digestion being a north to south process, digestion starts in the brain, are we in a parasympathetic state? So there's all these ways to kind of optimize that, but making sure you're having a bowel movement is super important. Um, To get things moving without Miralax and these terrible over-the-counter meds, I would suggest doing like a natural calm, which is magnesium citrate. Um, And magnesium citrate has what's called a bowel tolerance. So you can take, you know, I would suggest starting with like a half tablespoon or half teaspoon working up to, you know, one to two teaspoons or even up to a tablespoon of taking the magnesium until you hit bowel tolerance. So if you start having loose bowel movements, you're at your bowel tolerance of like really tolerating that form of magnesium. But mag citrate is a really... um, great way to get the bowels moving. Um, there's also a product from CellCore biosciences called bowel mover that has senna and a handful of other herbs that are just a very gentle support. Um, they come in capsules so you can take, you know, one of them, if you just need a little support, you can take up to, you know, five, six of them. And one day if you need even more support to get the bowels moving. So Bowels are huge. Um, liver and gallbladder, like I have yet to (laughs) work with someone that doesn't have an element of liver and gallbladder like just being overburdened. So liver creates bile, gallbladder stores bile, bile is released through the common bile duct into you know our digestive system to emulsify and break down fats, but the bile is also flushing out toxins and you know doing so many other things in the body. And it's also a really precious substance in the body. It's recycled at least. You know 60 plus times before we actually excrete it through our bowel movements and it's kicked out. So making sure that liver gallbladder, you know, bile quality and function are really healthy is super important. So um tudka, which is spelled T-U-D-C-A, is a really great compound that is um almost like a cofactor for super healthy bile and um you know liver gallbladder health in general. Tudka is a great product. Um, you know, any of these suggestions that I'm making, I'll just throw it out there. Like I I would just suggest working with a practitioner if you're genuinely concerned about supporting these things because there's so much nuance and some of these products may or may not work for you, may not settle for you. You know, Herxheimer detox reactions are, you know, very common with some of these things. So just being mindful of that. Um, There's also plenty of, you know, liver supportive herbs and, you know, compounds that, you know, you can get over the counter at like a natural food store or again with a practitioner, Um, we talk about like lymphatic system. These are, you know, I, I usually go to more lifestyle supports for the lymphatic system support to support that detoxification organ. So we've got lymph nodes all over. We've got them in our neck, we've got them in our armpits, you know, every little like soft crease of the body behind the knees, the inguinal ligaments and the hips, um, you know, the elbows. So movement is super important for the lymphatic system. So going on walks, going on runs, um, a lot of people will do rebounding, which you just, you know, just kind of jump up and down on a small trampoline, dry brushing, um, you know, even just like a massage, anything to really get the lymphatic system moving can be supportive in the drainage process. And then, you know, working our way up, we've gone through, you know, colon, bowel movement, liver, gallbladder, we're hitting lymphatic system. So at the top, cells, I'll, you know, say this one and then we can move on, but supporting your mitochondrial function and mitochondrial energy is super important. So again, cell core, I'm going to shout these guys out. There's a product called uh, mito ATP from them. That's an unbelievable humic fulvic acid mineral support that is extremely nourishing and a great cofactor for, um, cellular energy and cellular detoxification. So anything that you can do to support mitochondria on a cellular level will also support cellular detoxification and energy too. So hopefully there's some like practical tips and tricks. Yeah, and no, that's great. Passive conundrum of things. <laughs> yeah, no, it's
1: great. Cause I, I think a lot of people have no idea what it looks like, what, you know, where to begin. And yes, of course, I recommend, you know, working with the practitioner. But I think people sometimes just need to know what they can do on their own to get started and feel like they're doing something before they take that deep dive in to go, you know, work with someone. So so I think it's good for people to hear. Well, since I am about like people... You know, part of why I like to talk about health is so that people can take some ownership back because I, I, I think the, the powers that be want us under to return to a feudalistic state, and uh, I'm uh, really trying to do everything possible to empower people not to do that. So, yeah. you have a uh, you've created your own business and you know been really
0: solvent. So, uh, and you advise people in this as well, or Are you talking? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we it's, it's been like an interesting journey. So. At this point in my business, we we kind of have like three branches. Um, one of them we're like really doing a lot of work on right now at this point, but we do a lot of one-on-one work with clients so you can sign on work with us one-on-one. Um, we also have group programs that we're launching soon. We had group programs that we launched before and we've kind of taken them all off and we're revamping and just making them better and more helpful and more supportive and like we've just gotten a lot of feedback. So we're just kind of revamping and changing all that and then relaunching here in the next month. And then the other arm of my business that I I actually haven't spent a lot of time talking about, so this is somewhat new that I'll just share here on your podcast, but we are going to be doing a lot of business mentorship um, and building out, you know, almost like a, we'll have programs and then like a consulting arm of helping other wellness professionals, you know, building and scaling a successful nutrition business so that we can, you know, get more people in this world and in this field, you know, helping and supporting others, you know, whether you're. You know, an naturopathic doctor, or you're just, you know, a nutritionist, or you're, you know, you just want to do some health coaching, or whatever your business model is in the wellness space that you can grow and scale, and you know, help more people, hire people if you want to, and you know, I've gone through that whole process myself, so I think there's a lot of, you know, these quote unquote coaches, I'll put it in quotations, because I think there's a lot of people who sell courses, sell programs of like, here's how to build your six figure business, but like they never actually built their own six-figure business in that field. Like I see a lot of people who, you know, teach people, you know, I'll teach you through an online course, how to build your online course to like make your money, to do your thing. And it's, to me, it's kind of like this weird MLM, but a lot of these people that are running those things made their money off of teaching you how to make your money. And they didn't actually make their money in that field, grinding it out and actually doing the work. So where I come from is like, you know, I do have a multiple six figure nutrition business. I've been doing this for six years. I have gone through burnout. I'm done with this, F this, like hire people, fire people, scaling, like all of the different things, which systems, which platforms, which client facing software works, which one doesn't. So, you know, I'd like to think I'm pretty well seasoned and beat up in the short amount of time. You know, six years feels like a long time, but it's a short amount of time in the grand scheme of things. but I have learned a lot and I have really like put my ass on the line to, <laughs> to get to where I'm at. Yeah. Um, and I'm very grateful. And, you know, the journey has been very challenging, but like we, yes, we are planning on giving back and helping other people kind of navigate the the shit show of what it is to start your own business, because it's a lot. It is a lot for sure.
1: It's a lot. It is a lot. And I, I think it's definitely not for everyone. And I think that's probably like One of the, you know, when people are taking an honest look at themselves, people need to, a lot of people like the idea of being an entrepreneur and they they don't have that mindset. It's not their personality, Um, you know, and vice versa. Some people, you know, really like the idea of going to work for somebody else and it's going to be super secure and, you know, they kind of have a lot of delusions about what it actually means and it's really not for them at all. So, yeah. Yeah. But I think it's important for people to be empowered to understand how it is they can build for themselves. And it, ultimately that helps others because if you, you know, I, I know a lot of people have a lot of shot and broad and there's, there's lots of, you know, competition, but the reality is the more people who are successful, then that lifts everybody else up. So for sure.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, like, that's one thing that, you know, this year I've hired two people. Well, Last year we hired two people this year, we we're probably going to hire, you know, a handful more. And, um, you know, one thing that when I first started my business, it was just me, my husband and I saved up $15,000. We moved 2000 miles from the East coast to Colorado. And like, we had all these plans and we thought he was going to get all these jobs. We thought that the job offers that he had in the DC area were going to be the same in, you know, in Denver, which was total just us being naive. And he got none of them or got lowballed balled 30,000 a year. And we're like, we can't live in Denver for $30,000 a year thousand dollars a year. Like there's no way. So he ended up painting houses for $10 an hour, got an internship at um B Corp Benefit Corporation. It's a nonprofit for $15 an hour as like an MBA grad, first in his class, student athlete. So we just got a really nice slap in the face dose of reality when we moved out here. And you know, we really had the option to say, Oh no, what was me? Like we're victims. This really sucks. Or it was like, well, we better freaking figure this out and like make it work. Or we're going to be living in our parents' basements and moving back to the East coast somewhere, which in our minds was not an option. And so I moved, when we moved out, I had every intention of starting my business and I didn't know how, but I grew up in an entrepreneurial household Um, you know, my dad's very much self-made, was raised by a single mother with two other brothers. And, um, you know, I, growing up, like watched him work really hard, watched him come home, be with the family, you know, just, just really lay it out. And so I think growing up in that had a massive influence on me, which I'm extremely grateful for. But, you know, again, not everyone's hardwired that way. Not everybody would be like, yep, I'm going to take this massive leap into the universe and hopefully it works. And if it doesn't, like, you know, I'll figure it out. Like, I don't know that everybody has that, that tenacity, that persistence, that, you know, trust in themselves and, you know, the ability to have fear and say, screw it, I'm going to do it anyway. Like, I get that question all the time of like, how did you do it? How did you learn so much? How do you know so much? Like, how did you, like, how were you not scared? How did you build your business? And the reality was like, I'm not special in any magical way. Like I have no superpowers. Like I was terrified (laughs) and I was a wreck for like the first couple years that we were here, but like, I knew that it would be worth it. And I entrusted myself to figure it out. And I had my husband who was like in it with me and we could rely on one another and support one another, even though we had nothing and we were burning through our savings faster than like we ever thought possible. Um, you know, and it required a lot of like not going out and not having a ton of fun when we were, you know, 24 and we got married young and like, we're kind of an anomaly and kind of a little bit backwards than I feel like what modern society is these days. But like, now we're doing things that like, I'm kind of just like, yep, we worked really hard to get here. Um, you know, so it, it makes it worth it. And I think one of the most important things in taking charge of what you're doing is, is to just get started to just go do it. Like it literally is just that it's like, just, just do it. Just start somewhere. Um, I remember one thing that my dad told me when I was, I think it was like the night before I went to college, we stayed up late and had like this deep chat. And, um, one of the things that he told me was, Um, you know, life doesn't ever make sense moving forward. Like you can't anticipate, you can't connect dots moving forward. You can't say, I'm going to do this. And then I'm going to do this and then, oh, and then I'm going to choose to do that. Cause life doesn't work that way. Life only makes sense when you're looking backwards and you can say, Oh, like, I'm so glad I worked hard because that led me to this, which led me to this. And you can only connect the dots looking backwards. So, you know, that's always been an important thing to me. Um, I mean, one, another thing that my dad shared with me when I was younger was that, you know, it's important that you just, you do at least one thing every day that makes you really proud of yourself. And then you just stack, you stack those things and you look back and you'll have a life that you're proud of. You'll have a week that you're proud of a month. And, you know, you create all of these things for yourself and you're the only one that can do it. And I think that, 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 sobering realization that like, no one's saving me. I can't like, you know, rely on somebody else to create the life that I want for me. I can't rely on somebody else for my happiness or my success or whatever that is. And, you know, I'm married, like we, we do these things together, but like my happiness is my responsibility. And like, we lean on each other, but like, there's also this, this need to, you know, really get after it for yourself and prove yourself to yourself and learn that self-trust and learn what you're capable of and learn the power that you have. So I think there's, you know, we all have that. And it really comes down to a choice. Like, you know, circumstances for you might be different, opportunities might be different, privilege or lack of privilege might be different, but I do think we all at the root of just our humanness, like we all have this ability to create. We all have the ability to have an idea and put it into action and then it's tangible and it's real. We all have the ability to work hard, be resourceful, ask for help, Um, you know, ask for support, ask for someone to cheer you on make friends, create your network. Like there's all of these things that, you know, when I look back on building the business, creating the life that we have now, like there's no like, you know, oh my God, well that, well, that's nice. Like, I think sometimes we have people that look at us and are like, oh, well, it must be nice. I'm like, must be nice. Are you kidding me? Like I've worked my ass off for the last like decade, essentially building this, like this didn't just happen to me, you know, maybe some opportunities came my way, but I took advantage of those opportunities. And I leaned into them and I, and I made them work. So I think there's this, you know, again, in the modern era, there's this like the haves, the have nots, like the people that got handed it and those that didn't like, you know, I had a, like, I'm very privileged. I'm a white female. Like my dad helped me help put me through college, but he was raised by a single mother. He's self-made. Like I look at these lineations in batons past and it's like, he took advantage of situations. He taught me how to take advantage of situations and, um, You know, I think it's all it's all relative to what our own experience is, but like I do think we all have a choice with what we're given to. Like, what are you gonna do with it? You know, like it's not, it's not your fault, maybe for some of the things that you've been handed or what your experience is, but it's your responsibility to do something with that, no matter where you're at. So, you know, fault and responsibility are two completely different things. And like I think we all we all have a choice in what we're going to do in terms of taking action towards something. So
1: for sure. So well said. And and I will say in terms of privilege, you know, I, this is just my belief, but I think, you know, we're all blessed with gifts. You know, we all have our gifts. We all have our challenges. You know, that's, it's one of the guarantees in life is that we're going to have challenges and we will die. You know, that's like, those are inescapable. Yeah. But, I truly believe everybody has gifts and it's incumbent upon us to harness those gifts, to hone those gifts and to share them so that we can be contributing members of society. Um, but you know, these gifts are relative. I think that we, we live in this age where people point to certain things and say that those are privileges and really privilege is very relative because how do you know that that privilege wasn't outweighed by some really, really immense challenge that, that person had to overcome you look at somebody and you see their privilege maybe that's because you have no idea what challenges they they were dealt you know so i i think it's really it's all relative and nobody escapes challenges in this life that's just you know and there's a saying you know and regardless whether you know of what your religious perspective is or is not you know i think it's a very um you can extrapolate it any way you want, but I think it's a very profound saying, and it is biblical that God gives you what you can handle, and Mm -hmm. he doesn't give you more than what you can handle, and so I think we're all wired differently, we all have our different strengths and weaknesses, and so, but, you know, what's thrown our way is what we can handle, and, you know, it's our responsibility to do something with it you know to sure. as you said take advantage of those opportunities and the privileges that we're blessed with and to you know figure out how we can overcome those those obstacles and the challenges you know i mean they told my mom the best she could hope for me was to find a nice institution for me to spend my life so you know there's the things are often what seems impossible is not so you know there's usually things
0: are way more possible than we see in the
1: immediate future so
0: for sure for sure and i've always viewed Challenges, as like, you know, they're not there to stop you. It's not a brick wall to, like, you know, put you in the ground. It's usually there to teach you something. It's usually there to be overcome and for you to stand on top of that and say, I freaking did this and I overcame this shit. And, like, now look what I just did. And now I can go on and I can teach myself other things. I think the element of, like, I'm sure a lot of people have heard of learned helplessness where like, if you come up against something and you fail and you come up against something and you fail, you kind of teach yourself that you are incapable of overcoming things. You have this learned helplessness, that like you're helpless, you can't help yourself and no one can help you. But the opposite is actually true when it comes to psychology, that there's learned resilience. You can learn to become resilient and overcome things just as easily as you can learn helplessness. So I think it does, you know, like for me, gosh, in my own journey. I mean, with panic attacks, anxiety, all that stuff, like I ran from it every time. And in 2020, two weeks before the pandemic hit, I decided to shut my business down. I was completely burnt out. I had $20,000 contracts with affiliate partnerships and an agent that I worked with in New York city that I had just signed that I pulled out of because I was burnt out. And I was like at my wits end, I didn't know it, but we were living in a house that was full of mold. My whole nervous system was wrecked. And I was just like perpetually stuck in having a panic attack like instead of like oh if i you know if i'm on an airplane i'm really anxious and i'm afraid i'm gonna panic it was like that feeling all the time and there was no escaping it and i was really forced to just be with it and for the first time in my life like before i found out that it was mold and before i found out it was all these other things i really went through this period of time of like i don't really want to be alive anymore like i kind of can't handle this anymore you know i never had like and now i'm gonna go take my life like i never really wanted that, but I definitely had thoughts of like, well, what the hell is going on? What is this weird? Like, I can't take much of this anymore. Like this is terrible. I felt so uncomfortable in my own body. I didn't want to be in my body. There was no escaping that feeling. There was no getting away from it. Like I just, just ultimate of feeling trapped, which was extremely uncomfortable. And like, there was something in that moment that like, I just knew you know, and I, I am a Christian. So, I mean, the, the things that popped up in my mind at that time was like, I hadn't gone to church in forever and listened to worship music in forever. And during that time I would wake up in the middle of the night, freaking out, sweating, panic attack, like, Oh my God, I think I need to go to the hospital and like, wake up my husband. And he's like, you're fine. And I would get worship songs stuck in my head. And I just, I knew in that time that there was like something very important shaping and curating the challenges that I was going through that like I had to keep going like I made this promise to myself like and I remember writing this down I still have notes on my computer of like I will not fucking stop working on this until I have figured out what's going on with my liver and my gallbladder and why I'm having panic attacks non-stop I've had them before but there are seasons where I don't have them so why is it constant right now like I had to figure that out and there felt like this this unbelievably massive, important purpose in just being in it and sitting in it. And there were so many other times in my life that like, it came up when I was doing gymnastics as a kid. And then I quit gymnastics. And it came up when I was in college in a D1, you know, track program and I quit track. And it came up when we moved out to Colorado and then I ran away from it. And then this time it was like, this is your life. Are you going to sit with it and let it crush you and rebuild yourself from it? Or like, you know, what are you going to do? And I feel like in that moment, I didn't have an option, but to go forward and let it break me down and destroy me and turn into something way more beautiful than I could have ever imagined is it's completely revamped the way that I work with my clients and the way that I look at my health and the way that I look at my life. And, you know, prior to this whole experience, I had, um, I would probably say about 20% of our clients that we were working with that I was hitting massive walls with, and I could not figure out why? Like I was doing everything right. They had, you know, expendable income, all of the supplements, all of the lab tests, all of the things. And like, they were just not getting better and they were doing all the things. And I was in that same boat. I was in the same boat of like, what is wrong with me? I'm not healing. I've been working on my gut for like five years. Like what the hell Right. come to find out toxicity mold, you know, all of these other different things that affect genetics and methylation and predisposition to maybe some mental health challenges. But like, I strongly believe a lot of health issues are really rooted in an inflammatory response. And for some people, they're genetically hardwired that that inflammation is largely going to impact the physical body or the joints or the digestive system or the brain. And, you know, I'm hardwired through my methylation pathways and genetics that, It goes to my head. It goes to my brain. I have anxiety. I have panic attacks. I can't sleep. That's what I deal with. That is how inflammation manifests in my body. And I know that now, but I didn't ever know that. And so this whole experience, you know, it's given me so many gifts and it's allowed me to give back to, you know, so many other people around me. And so I think there's, you know, the whole reason why I brought this all up is that there is, there is redemption in the pain. There's purpose in the pain. There's a reason why there's that roadblock. It's not meant to crush you, it's actually meant to help shape who you are as a person and for you to prove to yourself and to overcome some things and then shed light on other people who are going through the same thing. Like, that's what I personally believe. That's how these things have manifested in my life. So, you know, anyone who's going through these unbelievable challenges, whether it's physical health, mental health, emotional things, you know, whatever it is that we just experience in this life, like it's not there to completely F you up and ruin you. It's actually there for a reason. And if you can really just be with it and you can really go there and you can ask for help in those moments and yeah. seek the guidance and be cautious of who speaks words over you in that time, like there's an unbelievable amount of you know, purpose and power and growth and just beautiful things to come from that space. So, you know, I think there's there's so much to be done. So when I look back at like my journey, my business, my grit, my, you know, all those things, like it's been this multifaceted, like it has broken me down and rebuilt me in ways that I'm like, whoa my God, like I thought I was just starting a business. I had no idea that all of this was like coming for me. So.
1: Yeah. (laughs) No, that's so beautiful. And thank you so much for sharing it. And I, I, I firmly believe it's all very much integrated and, uh, You know, so much of what we experience emotionally manifests physically. So much of what we're experienced physiologically can manifest in what we think are emotional, mental health uh, type like symptoms, but they're, you know, their their roots and their genesis may be physiological. So yeah. 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 Well, thank you so much. If you have anything else you want to uh, impart and uh, definitely tell everybody where they can find you and all that good stuff.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You guys can find me. I'm on Instagram at what Kate ate. That was like my OG blog name. So it's just what Kate C-A-I-T-A-T-E. So all one word. Um, you can find me on my website. It's katecroll.com. It's C-A-I-T-C-R-O-W-E-L-L.com. And, um, you guys can connect with us there, email us. Um, I've got an amazing team of women that are just like so lovely and so kind and so caring that like, I'm just so grateful to have on my side while we work through client stuff. Um, like I mentioned, we've got some Root cause gut healing programs coming out. Um, the one that we're launching here in the next month is called gut sense. So we're capping it at 40 people. It's going to be like an intimate group of getting to the root cause of your digestive issues. So we're launching that soon. Um, we do have a current waitlist for one-on-one clients. If you're looking for more intensive work, you can find the waitlist on our website. And beyond that, near the end of this year, early next year, we will have business mentorship programs coming out too. So we've got a lot of projects, lots of things going on. Um, but yeah, all, all good stuff, but that's where you guys can find me. And I don't know that I have any other things to share. I feel like I'm kind of emptied on all the fronts. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, but thank you.
1: <laughs> yeah, really awesome. Well, we, we will uh, keep in touch and yeah, definitely everybody should go find you. So awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having me.